The day was September the 12th, 1962. President John F. Kennedy was holding session at the football stadium at Rice University in Houston, Texas. And on that day, as he delivered what is one of his most famous, some say one of his greatest speeches, John F. Kennedy rallied a nation to a cause. It was an address full of vision, an address, uh, an address that promoted greatness among the American people. And John Kennedy stood there and he said, we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things not because they are easy, but because they are hard. The next sentence that he spoke is one that seems to be lost to history. I, I've never heard the next phrase, but I think that perhaps the next phrase helps to inform us about how to get to the first one. How will we go to the moon? We don't really have the answer to that, but here's what he said. We choose to go to the moon because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. So set in motion a decade of incredible technological progress. My uncle served in the space program of the 60s as he worked his way with NASA over the course of those next seven to ten years and then even beyond that. Uh, my uncle tells us, or used to tell us, he passed away uh, last year, but he used to sit us down as his nephews and nieces and tell us about the people that took America to the moon. He began to tell us about some of the technological developments that we enjoy as part of everyday life that grew out of the space program. And so in Houston, Texas, at Rice Football Stadium, where nothing significant seems to ever happen, <laughs> the president stood and he mobilized the country towards greatness. And so just a handful of years later, in the overall scheme of history, on July the 20th, 1969, astronauts Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin stepped off of the lunar module, the Eagle, onto the surface of the moon. We choose to go to the moon not because it is easy, but because it is hard. Those words rallied a nation. Those words remind us that there is power in vision. When we find a group of people who, who recognize that there is a greater calling, that there is a direction, that there is a point to which we focus going forward, there is great power in that. Scripture comes to that in a different angle at one point, and I'm not going to preach this particular text today, but we probably will get to it in this vision series. Scripture looks at it from the other side and says this in the King James Version, where most of us memorized it, where there is no vision, the people perish. Vision is powerful, and lack of vision is pitiful. That brings us as a church to this day. About 14 months ago, not quite 14 months, we're halfway through the month or just one day past halfway through the month of September, and the end of September I will have completed 14 months as your pastor. And in 14 months of being your pastor, I've tried to be a good student of you. Some of you have taught me things that you have no idea you taught me. Some of those are really good lessons, and some of them I don't really want to tell you what you taught me. 
that's not really true. That's a joke. I have learned incredible things in my time here. One of the things that I think I've learned is that this is an incredible church with incredible potential and a great history. And as I said the day that I stood here first with you, I say again today, I don't believe that the best days of our church are behind us. I believe they are in front of us somewhere, whether in our generation or the next or the next. I believe that this church is full of greatness and potential. Where are we going? As we peer out into the future, what do we see? What do we see us doing? What do we see the results of what we do? Where are we going? What is and what will be the controlling vision that takes us into that uncertain future? I'll take you back just a few weeks to Dr. Levi Price, one of the favorite sons, as I like to refer to him, St. Levi, said to us, that as we as a church look out into a future that is full of uncertainty and full of darkness, uh, we should envision a couple of headlights on a car as they kind of pierce into the darkness. And, and if we light those headlights into the future that we have in front of us, what do you see out there? Where are we going? The tendency is to quickly jump to how are we going to get there, and some organizations try to get to the how do we get there without knowing where they're going even. Today, what I want to do is begin this series where we begin to lay out and to discuss and have ongoing church discussions as it relates to the vision that we will have that will take us forward. I should tell you from the very beginning that this is not intended to be my vision for this church. If you buy into my vision for this church, then I will have led you astray because we don't need my vision. We need God's vision for us as a church. And while I will lay out some of what I believe is God's vision for our church, the reality is it must resonate across the spectrum of our church life or God's probably not in it. So today we begin a conversation. I'm not going to try to answer all questions because I don't even know what all the questions are at this point. Today we will, here is what I believe is a working point of reference for us. If you want to write it down, that's fine. I'm going to say it probably 40 times through the course of this message and 140 before the week's over. I believe that God would have us to connect people with the love and the life of Jesus Christ. I want you to go with me to this particular text, Matthew chapter 9. Actually, if you'll just turn to chapter 10, you'll get there. Now, let me tell you a little story while you're turning, all right? Um, In every church that I have served, And in my discussions with my dad, and he held it to be true also in every church that he had served, there are always those people in the church congregation who write in the margin of their Bibles the date that the pastor preached on that text. Now, a lot of them don't ever bother to write down what the pastor said. They just write down the date. And I've had a couple of times where people came to me and said, you know, Pastor, you preached on that same thing on X date, and, you know, and I always can say I know that because I keep meticulous records about what I preach. And so if you're one of those people, you will note that I preach this same text on the very first time that I preached to you, which was on September the 9th, I believe it was, excuse me, July the 9th of 2017. If you're worried about me just recycling a sermon, let me just encourage you to settle out, okay? It's the same text. It's not the same sermon. By any stretch of the imagination, it's not the same sermon. You see, I chose this particular text 
a year, 14 months ago, 15 months ago or so now, because my, it is one of my life verses. I preached it here in view of a call because I didn't know how you were going to vote as it related to me becoming your pastor. And I knew that I had one opportunity to speak to this church. You might have given me more opportunities, but I knew you gave me that opportunity. And so I brought to you what I believe is the fundamental, foundational text for a church if it intends to be on mission for Jesus Christ. So if I only had one shot, I wanted you to get that. But now we come back to this same text and we begin to flesh out some of the depth of what it says. I'm not going to re-preach that. Matter of fact, I'm going to take some of the passages and I'm just going to refer you back to that sermon. We have it on archive on our website, I'm pretty sure, and you can go back and listen to it. Matter of fact, I would encourage you to do that. But today, we find in this text, as we begin to unpack this text, we find this statement bubbling to the surface. It's our words, not the words of Matthew or Jesus even, But I believe it captures the thrust of this text that we must always be about connecting people with the love and the life of Jesus Christ. So let's read the passage. We begin in chapter 9 and verse 36. Well, let me back it up to verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 disciples Apostles are these, first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. So let's unpack the text and unpack the statement that I have laid before you, connect people with the love and life of Jesus Christ. We start with the words connect people. Notice the activity that Jesus is about in chapter 10, verses 2 through 5. And I'm not going to go through and read all of that again because most of that is these guys and their names. But especially as we drop down into verse 5, we do find something that we need to catch hold of here. Jesus tells these disciples to go do something. Go out and take this good news out to these people. The, The idea here of the word connect people is something that drives us. It my my head wants to go in 15 different directions here. Because this is this is a seed that has a plant that grows out of it that has long reach to it. Maybe we should pause for just a moment as we consider this whole text 
And as we consider especially the sending that Jesus does, maybe we would be okay if we asked this question, why did Jesus change tactics? Because the tactic that he was currently employing had great success. I'm not going to take all the way from uh, the first chapter of Matthew all the way through this, but if we just go back into chapter 9 and we look at one instance after another where Jesus is on this tour, if you will, Jesus is touring the countryside, and as we saw in verse 35, as he goes through the countryside, people are just flocking to him. The press of people on Jesus is such that as we look in other uh, parts of the gospel that occasionally he'd have to get up way before dawn so that he could just get away and be alone with God because once the daylight hit, the push of people was incredible. Why would Jesus change the tactic if it's working so well? And after all, let's be honest, most of us know the gospel well enough to know that these guys that he turns this enterprise over to, well, they're not him, right? So why would Jesus take this this incredible success that he's having in getting the message out and hand it over to these upstart, young, mostly blue-collar guys? Was this, careful how you hear this, was this a strategy failure on Jesus' part? Or maybe we should ask the question, was he unveiling the ultimate strategy? Here's what we need to get from this. Then and now, Jesus sends out disciples. So I'm going to lay an image out for you that I want you to grab hold of, if you will, as we talk about connecting people with the love and the life that only Jesus can give. I want you to envision our task as building bridges. You know, for a while I was processing through this. This this passage is such a huge part of my everyday life. I think I told you uh, a year ago so ago that I have this cross-stitched and hanging in my office. It's one of those things actually hanging next to the door uh, so that as I walk out of my office where it's safe and quiet, I go out into a world that's full of people, and my job is to build bridges to them. Not just my job, it's our job, it's your job. So I, I was processing through something of what I've learned about our church and about our community. Um, I was driving to work one day, and as you know, I live on the west side, and so I got on the interstate, excuse me, the parking lot, and, um, and I was coming across, and I got over towards um, where Schuster exits over close to UTEP, and uh, as I was driving, that, that's the section of the highway right there where you look over directly off of the road and you look down into Mexico, and I've been in that part of Juarez before. And matter of fact, we have some pastors that we work with and support over there in various ways uh, who work in that general area. Some of them do. And I spent several hours in that general area. And I, and I was just kind of reflecting on the vast difference. On my left side as I was coming in is UTEP with its multi-million dollar physical plant that's over there. And they're building these new high-rise buildings and sharpening people to be effective in life and business in other ways. 
And I looked over across the river and across the fence into an area that doesn't have nearly the resource that I saw on the left. It's not so much the resource that gets me about that. It's the effect of life on people on that side of the river and this side. And that pushed me to consider how do we really do this. And so I started thinking about the bridges that we have. And I've asked several people, and I'll be interested in hearing your answer to this, but how many bridges do we have? Don't answer out loud. How many bridges do we have from El Paso, greater El Paso area, into Juarez or into the greater Juarez area? If you go up and down the river for 100 miles, how many bridges do we have? And then my question is, why don't we have just one? Why don't we just have a super bridge there that we can just get everybody over? And part of the answer is because it's a strategic thing to build a bridge somewhere into a part of the city that you need to go to. So what I want us to start thinking about are the bridges that we either have or need to have into this community. If you take that bulletin that you have there, you got one, Look at the front of it. Now, one of the things I love about working here is the crack staff that we have. I mean, you know, other than Elvin, um, and I specifically mean Elvin as he hacks on me and others from up here, but <laughs> you never work cute, just so you know. But um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding, of course, and he knows that. But I took the idea to our staff a couple of weeks ago, and, and that found its way to Nikki, who is our graphic design person. And I found with Nikki, all I really need to do is lay an idea out there and then get out of her way. And so she came up with the design that you find on the front of that bulletin. It's a great picture, I think, of what we're talking about, the need that we have to reach out and build bridges into various parts of our community. And that's a discussion that we need to have as we go forward about how to do that and strategically how to do that and which bridges do we build and which ones do we shoot towards building later, all of those kind of things. But the, I believe that the vision that we need to catch that God has laid out for us in this text and many others is that as a church and as church individuals, we must build bridges to people. We must connect people with the love and the life of Jesus Christ. I mentioned something about Bob Cook and our relationship, and you know he's a, he's a, a good processor for me. I, I can take information and say, here's what I'm thinking, and he helps me work through all of those things. So we were having a discussion this week, and he, he said, so what do you mean connect? When you talk about connecting with people, what do you have in mind? What does that look like? It's a great question. It's one of those questions that pushes us into a laser focus as opposed to just a general thing that's out there. Here's my response to that. I'm not talking about a casual encounter. I'm talking about something that pierces to the heart of people. We can walk through the halls of our church and we can connect with one another with some of those conversations that we have that are about this deep most of the time. Or we can walk through the halls and we can connect with one another as we get into a little bit of a crowded spot and so we kind of brush up against somebody. We might say that's a connection. 
But the kind of connection that this world needs, that our greater El Paso area needs, is not a casual kind of encounter with the love of Jesus Christ or the life that he offers. What we need is a connection that pierces to the heart of how that person believes and lives everyday life. Jesus sends them out, and he says to them, go do what I've been doing. I hope by now you're starting to think, you know, this doesn't sound new. (laughs) As a matter of fact, I will say to you, one of the struggles that I've had through all of this is that, you know, this doesn't sound new. And then the Lord dealt with me in a number of different ways about that. Here's one of the realities that we have. This is part of our DNA as a church, or at least theoretically it is. We can go back to Vision 6000 that I inherited when I came in, and it's one of those things where the basic vision of that that Dr. Lowry brought before us was a point of reference that says if we just touch 1% of the population of El Paso in any given week, that's 6,000 people who come into contact with the gospel. What I'm talking about is to take that basic idea to the next level. And that is not to have a casual point of contact with them, but to build bridges into the lives of those people. Where there's vision, there's power. Think of the power of the connection that we might see with other people as they come into a piercing, heart-level encounter with the love and life of Jesus Christ. We must connect. Jesus sent his disciples. He still sends his disciples. And at the end of the day, hear me very carefully now, at the end of the day, not only is our church to be building bridges, but the fact is you are the bridge. Individually, you are a bridge. I've been saying for a long time, since well, 14 months that you've heard me say it, God has strategically placed each of us into a circle of people who desperately need life. And so Jesus sends us out into that. Here's a good point of reference for us. Bridges need to connect to something. I don't really want you to go back to that political thing where there was a bridge to nowhere, I was told. That makes no sense. It's not a bridge. It's just a road that just drops off. Bridges have to connect. When we lived in South Texas... We had the occasion to go to South Padre Island on a fairly regular basis. You just have to know I'm not a big beach guy. Uh, I don't really like sand too much unless I'm playing golf, and even then it's not all that great. But while we were living in South Texas, there was an accident that occurred on the South Padre Island Causeway Bridge, and that causeway connects the mainland at Los Fresnos and then Port well, one of the Port, Port Isabel, I think it is, with South Padre Island. And it's a long bridge, about two miles long. And they have a place where ships can go underneath it. And one of those ships, a barge actually, ran into one of the pillars that held that bridge up. And it caused a section of that bridge to fall. And so for months after that, the connection was broken. The people who lived on the mainland and worked on the island or those of us who wanted to go to the island for a little recreation, we couldn't just drive across the bridge anymore. There was no connection point. And so people were having to get on ferries or they were just any number of things in order to try to overcome the fact that there was no connection. I wonder how many people in El Paso 
are suffering because there's no connection between their lives and the love and the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus used to send his disciples. He still does. So we need to connect people. Here's the second part of that. We need to connect them with the love of Jesus Christ. This is more than just some casual thing, as I said. Notice that Jesus identifies what they need. This is in Matthew 9, 36. I'll read it again. It's been a little bit since I read it. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You can go back and listen to that sermon from July the 9th of 2017, and you can hear that passage, that part of this passage, in all of the depth of the terminology that we find there. Chapter 10, verse 8, gives us another picture of that when it says, Jesus told those disciples, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. For those people, conditions were horrible. We don't have to listen all that closely before we begin to tie that reality of those people in the first century with the reality of the people of El Paso in the 21st century. As we work our way deeper into this whole thing, again, today is just the foundation. As we work our way deeper into this, we will begin to identify entire segments of the population of this city that need us to connect them with the love of Jesus Christ. This is the part that Jesus sends his disciples out into the need And the need left people damaged by life and just simply miserable. We all work with people who suffer like that, harassed and helpless and without direction and living under a curse, it seems. And what they need is to understand that Jesus loves them and that his love brings resource with it. And we are those bridges, and we are the ones who build those bridges into the lives of those people. This won't be easy. Again, this is another one of those discussions we're going to have to have as we go forward. This will not be easy for us because we live in a world, in America especially, that is increasingly, decreasingly Christian. We had the opportunity, we had the college students at our house, well, not all of them, just the ones from our church, at our house on Thursday night for a Bible study. And uh, so we cooked out hamburgers and had a chance to sit around with them. And I, I wanted for the Bible study, I wanted to listen to them. I wanted for them to tell me what, was life, what life was like for them out on the university campus. Would you be surprised if I told you that it's not like the school you went to probably? We live in what sociologists are calling a post-Christian world. And it's not really even that people hear what we say and they say, well, you know, I'll take it or leave it. They're essentially running away from it saying, that's just not even valid anymore. It's one thing to say we're going to connect people with the love of Jesus Christ. It's another thing to figure out how we're going to do it. And so this becomes one of those things that will push us into ongoing discussions how do we do this? How do we even understand the people that we're supposed to be building these bridges to? Because they don't think like we think. 
We'll need to mobilize. And I would just refer you back to, it won't be easy, but I go back to John F. Kennedy who said, we choose to do this not because it's easy, but because it's hard. It's worth getting right for the cause of Jesus Christ. So we must lean into the task. We have a divine mandate. We need to be good at this. We need to build bridges to hurting people. Connect them with the love of Jesus Christ. Imagine with me just a few of these images, if you will. A coworker whose marriage just exploded. A neighbor whose child is so emotionally fractured that they regularly cut themselves. A family member who is pounded by addiction. People are, are being mangled by life. And El Paso needs thousands of bridges that connect people to the love of Jesus Christ. There's a third one. I'm about to run out of time, so let me make sure I get them all in. Here's the third element of this. That we are connecting people with the love of Jesus Christ, but we also must connect them with the life of Jesus Christ. This is the directive that we find in verse 7 of chapter 10, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is an interesting little term. As a matter of fact, Matthew has made it one of his favorite terms up to this point because it was one of Jesus' favorite terms. If we go back to Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, you can just listen because I'm going to fly through these. Chapter 3, verse 1, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist was aware of the kingdom of heaven and its significance. Jesus, in chapter 4, verse 17, as he begins his public ministry, and from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We find it again in 936 and again in 107. And so we must ask this question, what makes a kingdom? You know what the duh answer to that is? A king. You don't get a kingdom without a king. And John the Baptist announced before Jesus came, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus says, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now he says to his disciples, get out there and tell them the king is here. And life in the kingdom is a very specific kind of life. It's not a life of religion. It's not a life of saying all the right things and none of the wrong things. Life in the kingdom is life lived at the pleasure of the king. The life that Jesus offers is designed, it is delivered, and it is preserved by the king. And that king says in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's the life we see out there. That's the life of people who need us to connect them with Jesus Christ. Jesus went on to say, but I have come that you may have life 
that will blow your mind. We need to connect people with that life. This is more than just the comfort that we bring because of the love of Jesus Christ. This is the part where we get right down into the trenches and say with them, this life that is offered to you is offered freely, but you have to receive it. This is the life that has an entry point. All of us know that. You only come through Jesus. If you don't come through Jesus, you don't get in at all. But the part that we must double down to is that this is a life that is also involved in ongoing growth. We call that discipleship. We call it spiritual formation, whatever else we want to call it. But we must be excellent at sharing the life and connecting people with the life that Jesus offers. That means that we must double down in building disciples. That's a big statement. And that involves a lot of things that move out beyond this day and the, those ripples that occur, I hope, after this sermon today will be such that will begin to move us to ask questions like, okay, so how do we do that? What's next? What do we do with all of this? To me, this sounds like a bridge-building project for our church. Actually, a series of those. Don't forget that God has strategically placed you in a circle of people who desperately need life, and you are the bridge. And so our church needs, part of this whole vision thing, I believe, is that as a church, we need to make sure that we're equipping you as you go out into those circles, and you have somebody whose marriage just blew up, and somebody who has a family member suffering from addiction, and somebody who has a special needs child that's working their last part of their, their energy, or spouse, who is degrading in health, all kinds of opportunities for us to be bridges. So let me close this way. I suspect that many of you are sitting there thinking, this is really not new. You're right. This has been in place for over 2,000 years. Jesus from the outset said, this is who you're to be. This is what you're to do. It's part of the DNA of our church. But I hope now you'll begin to let some of those sermons that I've preached over the last year begin to find legs with you. We just went through a series entitled Guidelines where we talked about several things, and one of the things we talked about was make it better. Always make it better. Are we doing our absolute best at connecting people with the love and the life of Jesus Christ? If not, there's work there. You know, the call of JFK to the country to go to the moon had implications for it. So does this. Because vision has a way of creeping into the fabric of an organization. And over a period of time, we'll begin to have those conversations. How do we do this? We'll have a church-wide conversation in the very near future, probably. We will have one of our town hall meetings where you'll have a chance to talk through it. One of the things that I'm going to ask for is a specific group to move forward. Please hear me say this. This is not something that your staff is going to sit in a back room and decide what happens with the church. This is a church discussion. And so we're going to listen. and We're going to have conversations. And we're going to look at the implications. So I want you to ask the Lord to begin to press on you. Who are the people that I need to connect with? 
in this. Remember what I said from the outset. The phrase or the part of JFK's speech that got forgotten somehow may well be the most important part of it. He says, because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. We go into a future intentionally building bridges for Jesus Christ. But we need you. We need your voice. We need your brain. We need your back. And if I was a Baptist preacher, I'd say we need your money. But I'm not going to say that. We need Jesus Christ to show us whether this is the way or not. I hope you'll pray about it with me. Let's pray now. And as we go to the Lord in prayer now, I want to ask you if you know the life and the love of Jesus Christ. It's possible that some of you are here today, and the only part of this message you hear is the love of Jesus Christ because you bring so much pain with you today. If that's you, then I would just want you to know that as a church, we offer you our best in connecting you with the love of Jesus Christ. If you want us to pray for you, we will do that. If you want us to counsel with you, we will do that. But if you're here today and the pain of life is overwhelming to you, you've come to the right place, a group of people who know the love of Jesus and want to share it with you and connect you to it. It may be that you're here today and you don't know personally that life that we're talking about. And if you don't know Jesus Christ in a personal way, then today is a great day for you to get to know him. This invitation time is for you also. We'll talk about how to do that. Uh, Dr. Nickel and I will be down front here in just a few moments as we begin singing. You can come forward and we'll talk to you about that as will others. Maybe today's a good day for you to commit yourself to pray about where is God in this whole thing for us? Where are we going to go? How do we get there? Those questions that will come all need a foundation. And today we've laid out a foundation, I think, that allows us to build. So this invitation time is you. What do you do? It's for you. What do you do with it? Let's stand as we pray and sing. Father, use this time to glorify your name in Jesus Christ. And, he, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.